ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, present the VC Show with eight-time NBA All-Star Vince Carter and co-host Roz Gold Umude, who talk all things basketball with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. They will give you their unfiltered thoughts on the NBA, and Vince will share stories from his illustrious, damn right, 22-year career. That's the VC Show. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. He was the face of the New York Yankees and the most admired player in baseball, the captain tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career. Catch episode two on Thursday, July 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and streaming on ESPN+. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Monday evening where the entire NBA is waiting on a potential Kevin Durant trade. And some of the NBA, especially New York City residents, are waiting on a potential Donovan Mitchell trade. And as we await all that... We have to talk about a team that is sort of lurking on the fringes of those things, waiting for the resolution of one of those things to maybe impact its season. A team that has frankly descended into soap opera, gossip girl level territory. People are snubbing other people. There are cryptic potential subtweets. There's people no-showing at Pro-Am leagues after saying they might be there. It's all happening to the Los Angeles Lakers, the most disappointing team in the NBA last season. Arguably, anyway, the Brooklyn Nets would have some claim to that. Dave McMenamin, how are you? Uh, Zach, I'm uh, trying to get into vacation mode and remove my mental anguish uh, that that comes from covering this team. I was able to escape it for about six weeks during the playoffs and bounce around the country covering actually successful franchises. Uh, But yeah, I'm back mired in it and uh, strapped in for the roller coaster until we can get off. When's the last time you, when's the last time you snubbed someone in your real life? Have you ever snubbed just, just straight up, just like I acknowledge that you're there you acknowledge that I'm there. I'm just, we're just going to avoid eye contact. So the only story I have about this is I was younger and I was at a blockbuster video. So it tells you I was younger and I was wow. with my older sister and we were going to check out and she kind of saw someone in the other side of the store. And I said to her, as we're going to check out, like, didn't you go to high school with her? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, so why aren't you saying hi to her? It's like, I just don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> and so, like, I was a secondary participant of a snub from my older sister, Shauna. I respect that move so much. I was snubbed on a train platform maybe eight years ago where I saw a woman that I went to college with. And I was going to go. I was, like, in mid, mid, like mid-wave. Like, mid, not, mid, not quite mid-wave, but, like, eye contact. And mm-hmm. I was, like, ready for the five-minute conversation. Now, unbeknownst to her... That's all I wanted. I didn't. I don't want to sit next to you on the train. I just want to read or write or whatever I'm doing on the train. Maybe she feared, oh, no, this guy wants the full hour Grant to Grand Central train ride next to me asking me questions about my life. She, we looked at each other and she definitely acknowledged the, the eye contact was definitely like we are both aware of the situation. She turned, put her head down turned her back to me and walked to the other end of the platform. Now in her head, part of her is probably like, 
boy, that was not very nice that I did that. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he didn't realize what had happened. And in my head, I'm like, I respect that move so much. I didn't really want to talk to you that much anyway. I definitely didn't want to talk to you on the train. If you were protecting your train time, I respect the person's train time. I like them. Never saw her again. And that's, that's it. That will be the last. And I will honestly, as fi- as final interactions go, that's a pretty solid final interaction. I'm very happy with that. If that's the last time I ever see that person, I think we went out on a high note. But in both of my sister's case and your train scenario, that was trying to avoid a stop and chat. I think the snub we're speaking about is a much higher degree, which is trying to avoid being teammates with uh, each other one again. Was uh, it a mutual? Again. Was it a mutual snub? I was not in Las Vegas this year for for summer league. Was it a mutual snub between Russell Westbrook and LeBron James? Was it was who who was the real snubber? All I can say is that LeBron James had a seat on the baseline. Rob Palinka came over. Darvin Ham came over. Wendy Gabriel came over. Talon Horton Tucker. On and on and on. Pretty much every single person in the gym that was a Laker representative came over to see LeBron James. Who so he's he's receiving people. Correct. People are coming to him. And the lone person who is currently under contract from the Lakers who did not make that pilgrimage, the 94 feet across the court to greet LeBron was Russell Westbrook. I'm not sure who gets the snub credit there because if, if LeBron made no effort to say hi to Russell Westbrook, why is it all on Russ to go all the way across the court and pay homage to King James like everybody else? I don't know who gets the, maybe I think it's just a mutual snub. I think, yeah. I okay. Think, we'll go I mutual. Think, I think it's equal. I can accept I can accept that. I, I think then, the one you would say then, Darvin and Rob Palinka, at the first quarter timeout, they had their decision to make, right? Are they going to go across the court to Russ by the Lakers bench? They going to go to LeBron. They went to LeBron. They established I mean, that second quarter. That's an easy one. Uh, yeah. That's that, that's an easy that's an easy decision. Well, look, the the reason why we're talking about this is a because it's funny, and b because this is the state that the Lakers are in. They're in a state of drama and disrepair. And over the weekend, our Adrian Wojnarowski broke the latest bit of news on this was that Russ and his agent of a of long, 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 long time from Wasserman Thad Fouché have parted ways, which really has been rumbled about for a long time. Thad Fouché released a statement the likes of which I can never recall in the history of the NBA explaining his side of why they are breaking up and his side of why they are breaking up. And by the way, I don't think this was a Thad Fouché-driven breakup. I don't think that Russell Westbrook is on the other end of this like, wait, what happened? You broke up with me. I think this was fairly mutual and long in the works at the very least. But Thad's Fouché's side of this was, well, I'm trying to convince Russell Westbrook to stay with the Lakers and accept the coaching of Darvin Ham and the support that Darvin Ham has given has, has publicly expressed for him. Russ apparently, well, the subtext was he's not listening to that. The implication would be he would like to be traded elsewhere ASAP. And Thad Fouché's response to that was the market is telling us the Lakers have to attach assets to get off of Russell Westbrook's contract and that the team who trades for him in this theoretically theoretical scenario may or will just buy Russell Westbrook out, making him a free agent. And I, Thad Fouché, do not think that is the best course of action for Russell Westbrook's career. Now, what is interesting about that is that last part 
is not an atypical line of thought you hear from agents. The agents, agents often fear their clients taking the buyout route because if you then sign for the minimum somewhere else, their fear is you're just now considered a minimum player yep. forever and ever and ever. And I think Thad Fouché is trying to say, you might be able to get a real contract after this if you play your cards right. Obviously, um, he he does not think that Russell Westbrook is receptive to that, which lends further credence to the idea that he wants out, the Lakers want him out, maybe he wants out because he knows the Lakers want him out because they're snubbing him at Summer League and all this other stuff. It's beginning to feel as if it already weren't irreconcilable. It's now beginning to feel that way. What the hell is going to happen here, Dave? Well, hasn't it been irreconcilable for a minute now from the moment that Russ was asked about the support that he got from AD and LeBron throughout the year when they said they just want to allow Russ to be Russ, and and he said that wasn't true? Ben Simmons never played again with an organization that had Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers after that press conference occurred at the end of the Sixers season a couple seasons ago. That was the initial, okay, there's a major pivot there. It is Russell taking a stance away from LeBron and AD, the two guys who delivered the Lakers their only championship over the last decade plus. So that's where we're starting at. Where we're at now is the Lakers for more than a month now have inquired about trades to send Russell Westbrook out of town and they haven't gotten traction on any deals. What else is on the table besides the Kyrie Irving deal? Like where else have they actually looked? Charlotte was rumored for a while. I I never really thought that there was a great deal to be made there. People have talked about Eric Gordon in Houston. Indiana now has all this cap space and Buddy Heald, the player they didn't get when they got Russell Westbrook and said, have there been real inquiries in those directions? Are there other inquiries we're missing? Because all the focus has obviously been on Kyrie, which is why this is sort of adjacent to the Durant situation. They have interests in Eric Gordon and Buddy Heald, perhaps in addition to Kyrie, and, and the, the piece that would be Ooh. have to be moved in order to get that done would be Talon Horton Tucker. But it could also end up being the plan B if they can't get this Kyrie situation to come to bear. And quite frankly, the Lakers believe that the Nets will not do anything with Kyrie until they've settled things with Kevin Durant. Now, there is a school of thought, speaking to people around the league, that they think that the Durant trade request wasn't actually about him getting out of Brooklyn. It was about getting Kyrie out of Brooklyn. But the reason why this thing is all kind of stuck in the mud right now is that the Nets will not make a major move like that with Kyrie until they are very 100% crystal clear that the true intention of Kevin Durant would be to move off of Kyrie in order to stay. And as of my last couple of nights in Vegas, I left there about a week ago, that still remained up in the air. It was all in a period of stasis because Brooklyn was not ready to make a major move until they are completely sure that they have the understanding of what it would take to keep Kevin Durant in a Nets uniform. I think the next week to 10 days in the Durant vortex of stagnation is potentially very interesting. 
Because in the wake of DeAndre Ayton's offer sheet being matched by the Suns and some avenues to three and four team trades now being closed off because Ayton can't be traded anywhere, I think there are there is the potential for a couple of teams to at least knock on the side door. A couple of teams who maybe haven't been central to the Durant discourse yet but have the assets to get it done. To, to, to knock on the side door to say, okay, storm number one has passed. The Phoenix thing seems not dormant because I don't think the Phoenix possibility is dormant, but more complicated now. Everyone is now talking about how, oh, maybe Durant's actually going to go back to Brooklyn. Maybe that's this is all just going to be you know full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I get the sense that a couple of teams are, are, are looking at this sort of quiet period as an opportunity to begin exploring okay, the storm has settled. Can we get into this at all? I don't know if they'll get any traction, but I do think it, it we're entering an interesting period in that regard. Um, back to the Lakers. Uh, okay, so that's their that this is where we are. I mean, I just, to me, I, I said it last week, I think the Russ thing is a total lost cause in, in every sense of the word. I don't think... I don't think if they bring him back, the, the team as presently constructed has 0% chance to win the NBA championship as far as I'm concerned. No chance. Um, very little to no chance. And I just don't see... I, I, I and, and honestly, Dave, like I think they had a pretty good summer. I think the Lakers had a pretty good summer. You look at their supporting cast last year. Avery Bradley, Kent Bazemore, THT, Ariza, Carmelo, Monk, Reeves. I think... And DeAndre Jordan and Dwight at center. I think they kind of upgraded a little bit this year. I like the Lonnie Walker move. Troy Brown Jr. is a nice flyer. Juan Toscano Anderson, THT, Reeves are still here. Kendrick Nunn will theoretically play this year, I think. Stanley Johnson is back. I think Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant are an interesting center duo. Mm-hmm. Like I can like I can like all those things. And yet, it's not changing my world enough to think that this team has done anything close to enough to contend for a title because I just think the Russ thing is a total lost cause. Well, I like the moves primarily because they did recognize the error of their ways last summer and they needed to go away from, as one person placed it to me, it has to be about game, not about name. And look at the guys. I have the list right here still waiting to sign a deal who the Lakers willingly brought in last year as their rounded out, let's go for the championship alongside the big three. And here's a list of guys who they had on their team last year who are currently without a job. Avery Bradley, Kent Bazemore, TJ Augustine, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, Carmelo, Rashawn Rondo, Trevor Ariza, and then a couple 10-day guys during COVID, Darren Collison, Isaiah Thomas. That's a lot of guys. And so at least they learned their lesson from that in the direction they went. But as you mentioned, uh, taking a flyer is pretty much an accurate way to describe some of these signings. We don't know what Troy Brown Jr. will bring. And quite frankly, Wanta Sakeno Anderson on a championship team provided a very nice role, uh, a very limited role. But what if he's asked to do more than that with this Lakers team? We're not totally sure there, but I can get behind theoretically the guys they brought in. The problem is the gap between that group 
and an aging LeBron and an Anthony Davis who has only basically been able to play 50% of the games the last two years and a question mark and Russ versus the rest of the Western Conference, I have a hard time. You're talking about 0% chance of winning a championship. What's their percent chance with this team of being a playoff team? It's not a sure bet. What's it, 55%? I haven't thought that far, to be honest with you, because the West is loaded. But when you stack their roster up, the top two, let's just be optimistic. LeBron was playing at a near MVP level for a lot of last season and the season before before he got hurt. Let's say he's got that for 70 games. I think we're in for a major Anthony Davis bounce back. Now, I say that the jump shot outside the Disney bubble is is very strange to me how badly it has fallen apart slash stagnated. Um, he basically stopped shooting threes last year. And now you can tell me that if he's playing the five, when he was playing the four with Dwight Howard or DJ and Russell Westbrook, he was forced into this spot-up role all too often for many reasons that we don't need to delineate here, that he's just not as well suited for as it as he would appear to be. I do think his jumper is better than he showed. You can tell me now if he's going to play the five, he doesn't have to play that role anymore because he can screen and dive. He can be more of a traditional center, hang around the rim more and all that, post up more, whatever you want to say. They did sign these two centers, both of whom I like, Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones. Thomas Bryant shoots a lot of threes, so maybe you can sort of say AD can play that rim-running role even when Thomas Bryant is on the floor. Bottom line, I think we're in for a big Anthony Davis season. He's heard all the noise about how he's not a top-10 player anymore. He only plays half the games. Those statements have been true when he's when, last season he wasn't a top-10 player and he did play half the games. I just think we're in for a big bounce back. The league has gotten too low on Anthony Davis. Even being optimistic about those two pieces, the gap between those guys and the rest of this roster is so gigantic that when you stack them up against what the Clippers are going to be, what the Warriors already are, what the Nuggets could be, and on and on and on, you just start to think to yourself, man, even if LeBron and AD are that good, these dudes are rolling out like Lonnie Walker against the Clippers' best five and the Nuggets' best five and the Warriors' best five. And, and I think Lonnie Walker's fine. And, like, we're talking about Damian Jones. who I, I, I'm, like, the biggest Damian Jones fan in the media, and I, I, I kind of think that's a, little, that's a little much. And I just don't see part – of, part of this is, like, you, anyway, you and I talked a lot last year about how the Lakers just could never find an identity, right? Like everybody was injured. They cycled through every kind of lineup type. They all failed. It, no matter how you slice the numbers last year, LeBron and AD without Russ. LeBron and AD without Russ and a center so that AD's the five. LeBron, AD, and Russ. LeBron, AD, and Russ with no center so AD's the five. They were all bad. Every lineup type was bad. LeBron on the floor minus for like first the first time, time in his career. They were, they were they were just all bad. So I just I I I don't know what the ceiling for this team is, but I know one thing for sure. The Russ fit is just not working. It wasn't ever going to work and they need to change it to get if they have any chance to win the title, which is all you should be trying to do when you have LeBron at age 37. They have to figure out a way to change that piece. And I don't think Eric Gordon or Buddy Heald is enough. That's why I think they they are and should be aiming high at Kyrie Irving. 
because they're never going to match the Clippers for depth or the Nuggets for depth or the Warriors for cohesion. But if you put those three dudes out there, you can say to yourself, maybe we've got enough star power and talent to win in the playoffs. And I don't think that's crazy, but I just don't, I just don't, it's not going to work with Russ. And I don't think healed Gordon, whatever placeholder, I don't think that's enough. Yeah, I mean, you got to get through 82 games, of course, in order to have those three matter, but you're going to have a much better shot to win with the skill set of Kyrie complementing those two than Russ. Like, that's the most basic basketball observation I can provide. I think the other concern here is we're in the middle of July having this conversation. What happens when we get to August 4th? They still haven't figured things out. LeBron's eligible for an extension. And he's not signing. Let's say he goes in the year that way. You're just added a circus to your plate for the entirety of the 22-23 season. You and thought it, the snub, painful you thought the snub was dramatic. Yeah, exactly. And, and that that's something, in my opinion, should be leveraged on the LeBron clutch side to say, let's get this figured out. I'll I'll commit to you guys for uh, you know a one plus one deal or something like that, and let's clean up the end of this this ride we've had together. Let's not forget that the franchise was wandering in the desert without a drink of water for years before I decided to come from Cleveland here, and I delivered a championship, something that validate the quite frankly the the professional livelihoods of the bus family to be able to say that they did it without their father around. Um, let's turn this thing back around, but in order to do that, help me help you. I need to have another running mate that, that will work with me. And yeah, it was small sample size last year with Russ, but it's pretty darn clear that LeBron's seen enough and he, he has no interest in going into another year with Russ as his teammate. Before we get back there, I don't mean to put you on the spot. August fourth comes. Do you, are you saying you don't expect him to sign the ex- like? Well, I don't. I don't know what to expect. Do you, Do you know what to expect? I, I that's where I stand. I don't know. I, okay. You would it would ask me sometime uh, prior to say January of 2022. I would have said, "Oh yeah, he's going to sign the extension." But it's been a pretty wild ride these last six months. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You said it's clear the fit isn't working. You and I talked a lot last year about... All things Lakers. And one of the stats I monitored all year long was what do their numbers look like when Russ, LeBron, and AD are on the floor without a center? 
which we all agreed was if they're going to have hope, that's the lineup. If they're going to play high-stakes playoff games, that's the lineup. AD at the five, Russ, LeBron, two three and D guys, or whatever they had that could be a facsimile of a three and D guy, a 3D printout of a three and D guy. 40 games into the season, those numbers were pretty good in a small sample size. By the end of the season, they were negative, just like everything else. And to your point, like you've talked a lot about what Darvin Ham has said about Russ, about redirecting Russ's game, and we're all in on Russ as a defender. We've all talked about this a million times. Redirecting Russ's game means cut off the ball, shoot corner threes. He shot 44% on corner threes, 23 out of 51. Doesn't want to take them. Screen for LeBron. And you could tell they had a team meeting about Russ screening for LeBron before the second game of the season against the Memphis Grizzlies. Screened eight times for LeBron in that game. It worked pretty well. The whole idea was let's take our worst shooter, screen for the maybe the best player of all time, become Draymond Green, roll, pass, all that. After that game, here were the number of ball screens Russ set in the six subsequent games. This is from Second Spectrum. Mm-hmm. One, 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 and one. He did not set more than two in a basketball game in which the professional Los Angeles Lakers were involved until March. He didn't set more than four in any other game in the entire season. If there were and, and if there were ever a statistic that showed a cognitive dissonance between a player and his coaching staff, a player and this vision that now Darvin Ham is outlining for him, that's the stat. And look, I'm not sitting here. It's easy for me to, to say all this about Russ. Russ is an MVP. He's averaged a triple-double four times. He has been among the very best in the entire world, the history of the entire world, with the ball in his hands. He doesn't want to play another way, and I don't really blame him for not wanting to play another way, but the way he plays has, A, deteriorated because he can't dribble the ball without turning it over anymore at least four or five times a game, and his jump shot has stagnated or gotten worse. So, A, he's deteriorated, and B, it doesn't fit on this team. So I just don't know where to go except to say this. I keep hearing about 2027 and 2029 first-round picks. I understand the hesitancy about flipping both of them to get off Russ and get Kyrie. If And I don't know what they've offered. I don't know that the Nets have really gotten serious with them. I don't know, what, I don't know the specifics because guess what? Very few people actually know the specifics. And the people who say they do are often being a little bit lied to. If they haven't offered one of those picks unprotected or top three protection or some minimal protection along with Russ to get Kyrie to me that's their election of duty you have to offer one I understand haggling over the second one and being like we're, we're compromising our whole future Kyrie is such an upgrade fit wise over Russ that if they're not offering one of those bad boys then I just don't even like know what we're doing here yeah and, and honestly I wish I could tell you like hey Sean Marks told me that they offered one and you know, they had so many protections on it. It wasn't even about, no, I, I don't know that answer. What I do know is that there have been talks and the Lakers stance was that the Nets were not prepared to really put the ax to the root and figure something out because the KD domino 
had to be the first one to fall. And quite frankly, that could be posturing on the Lakers' part. That could be the Lakers presenting their offer as, well, it really wasn't us. It was the Nets are just aren't in that place. Um, you know, someone with deeper net sourcing might sell you otherwise. Maybe the net stance is that the Lakers haven't offered that. I, I don't know either way. But ultimately, if it comes down to a negotiation where you want your final offer to be the strongest, it should be an easy call at the end of the day to say, we're going to give you your choice of one of those two picks unprotected. Let's wash our hands a bit, call it a day. You get a, a pick for the future. We get an asset now. You have an owner worth $9 billion who can stomach figuring out a buyout with Russell Westbrook. We're a mom and pop shop. We, Our ownership won't do that. And let's move forward here. Uh, to me, that would be a reasonable resolution, but uh, oftentimes the NBA is not reasonable. Well, look, I and I understand, believe me, I have been plenty critical of Kyrie. I can hear everyone saying, give up a first round pick for a dude that never plays? For an unreliable participant, why would they do that? I get it. My only answer is because the status quo isn't going to work. The unreliable participant's unreliability last season was based on A, a vaccine mandate that is gone, and B, an expectation that he was going to get a long-term contract no matter what, also gone. And so I have at least some belief given his prior experience with LeBron James before he asked out of the LeBron James experience and got his way to Boston and then asked out of there and blah, blah, blah. I at least have some hope that I can get him to play 60 games and end the playoffs. And the fit with those three guys is good enough that I at least have a shot. Right now, I got basically no shot. And that's my only argument. Like, I, I've sat here, Dave, and I tried to figure out their rotation and their starting five. And I just stopped caring. Like I said, look at the sheet of paper. It says RW for Russell Westbrook, question mark, LeBron, AD, Thomas Bryant. Then I have one where they start small and they start AD at center and it has two question marks. Then like, I just can't care. Like if he comes to, let me ask you this. If Russ comes to camp, do you think there's a world in which they just bring him off the bench and start Kendrick Nunn or something like that? Is he going to, like, what's going to happen if they even tried to do that, because I can see them thinking reasonably, we'll start a placeholder point guard who can shoot threes. That allows us to start a traditional center since we don't have a non-shooting point guard on the floor and AD doesn't want to play center. Russ, you can come off the bench, run the offense. But it, is that even possible? Is that even is that even is that conversation even doable anymore? Well, there's a couple layers there, Zach. One, let's talk about the. Thad Fousey, his his agent statement, because part of it was to me calling the bluff of Darvin Ham and the Lakers with him saying, look at that public support that he's shown. Uh, Darvin has shown towards Russ. You should be going towards that, accepting it. Let's go. And including a part of that was Darvin Ham telling Anscapes, Mark Spears, who we work with, that, that, that there is a starting spot. For us, right? Uh, listen, the guy who Darvin Ham is replacing, who led the team to a, a top three defense his first two seasons and a championship, 
before last year's disaster, believed that, according to my sources, Frank Vogel thought if he put Russ on the bench, he would lose him completely. And he never went that route other than I think there was four games where he benched him late in games because that's the way the group that was out there was playing well enough together. He didn't want to disrupt it. But he thought if he went for the full-fledged benching that he would lose Russ and he was just trying to buy time until LeBron and AD got healthy and they could try it again. I don't see how all of a sudden it's going to be different for a guy like Darvin Ham. No matter even if Darvin Ham can appeal to Russ um, because they have certain ties in terms of familiar backgrounds and, and things of that nature. If it comes down to performing, Darvin Ham is espousing his desire to get this team turned around, playing tough defense. That's what's going to, you know, kind of get them out of the position they're in. We're going to be hard workers. Here's some defensive stats for you, Zach Lowe. Russell Westbrook. By the way, as you said that, thunder and lightning just blared literally in perfect Ominous. time outside my window. That was, that was amazing. I uh, hope that got onto the You said the word. That was incredible. Uh, facing players driving against him, right? He ranked 60th out of 71 players. Uh, players would blow by him on nearly 30% of their drives. 60th out of 71 qualifying players. How about on uh, defending a direct drive? He ranked 65th out of 71 players. How about... 71, there, there's got to be some sort of minimum number of like... Yeah, of, yeah, it's, it's a, okay. 400 drives is the qualifying number, defending 400 drives. How about um, an opponent's expected effective field goal percentage? Against Russell Westbrook, 56.3%, which ranked 90th out of 92 qualifying players. Like, I was going to say, if it was 90th out of 71 qualifying players, I would have been very <laughs> concerned. So, and I have, you know, our second spectrum team uh, working alongside Instagram Stats and Info does a great job figuring out these numbers, but there's, there's a laundry list of where Russell Westbrook is one of the worst players in the league when it comes to defensive disposition. Well, look, a lot of those stats are so team context dependent. I mean, not necessarily blow buys. That's an individual stat, but like in what circumstances? It blow buys on catch and go where Russ has had to rotate in and out. It's a, a lot of that is team context dependent to the point that I don't look at them that much. But like, let's let's be clear, Russ has not been a good defense player in a long time, and is you know frenetic and rotates out of scheme and made up for it a lot with sheer will and athleticism. His defensive rebounding was massively important, but he's, he's for a long time now been an average at best to damaging defender, which is frankly not atypical for a lot of guys who carry the kind of offensive load he's had to carry. But the, the idea that he's now going to say, I'm going to lock in and be an elite defender at age, whatever, with all the knee issues in the rear view mirror and all that is just implausible to me. And look, again, Russ is a fantastic player. The fit just isn't there. All of this said, Dave, none of this matters at all, including the Kyrie thing, if they somehow get him. It's all irrelevant if Anthony Davis doesn't become Anthony Davis again. This is all presuming the Anthony Davis revenge tour, the Anthony Davis rediscovery of his long two, 
the Anthony Davis Defensive Player of the Year campaign. It's all presuming that. And if that doesn't happen, the Lakers are just not going to get where they go regardless. The other thing is you mentioned the extension in August 4th. That's, that is, that's a circus. And you said, uh, I believe you uttered the word Cleveland at some point. Um, look, people can poo-poo it if they want. The Cavs can poo-poo it if they want. I don't think LeBron wants to leave Los Angeles ever for the rest of his career. I think if he had his druthers, he would stay a Laker. If you're asking me to bet on any potential outcome, obviously the his son's potential NBA career complicates this, but I would bet on LeBron just retires a Laker. But the Cavs are set up to have cap space when his contract runs out. And although Darius Garland said at All-Star last year, we think it's kind of cool that we're building something without LeBron. Although many reputable reporters have said, have written, that maybe the Cavs won't be interested in signing LeBron James in free agency. I will believe the Cleveland Cavaliers, with cap space, with the ability to sign LeBron James and keep Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley on their team. I will believe that team passes up the chance at signing LeBron James if you were willing to actually go there for like a retirement tour. I will believe that when I see it. In other words, if he doesn't sign that extension, it's not only going to be a circus in Los Angeles, the Cleveland buzz is going to be incredibly loud until either they or he shuts that off. Yeah, and like right now, all I'm pretty positive that will occur with LeBron and Cleveland in the future is where you saw Paul Pierce was a net and a wizard and a clipper after he was a Celtic, but he finished his career with the ceremony contract with the Celtics. Something like that will occur with LeBron for sure. The greater scenario, I don't know. Like going back to the January, 2022 scenario, everything was headed towards LeBron will finish his career with the Lakers. Bronny, depending on how the rest of his prep career and, and potential collegiate career goes, he would be represented by someone like Rich Paul who could suppress the market in order to find a way, a pathway, so other teams don't draft him. And he ends up on the Lakers, perhaps on a two-way deal. Now that there are two-way deals, it's easier to, to make that type of arrangement. Uh, you have 17 guys on the roster versus 15, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying that there's been so much turmoil these last six months. You start to believe that other scenarios are possible, uh, which you mentioned, what, the next seven to 10 days being really interesting when it comes to what happens with Kevin Durant. Well, you know, as a consequence, these seven to 10 days could be telling about what we see for LeBron in Los Angeles for the rest of his career. Well, look, People can laugh at the Lakers and laugh at ESPN and laugh at Fox Sports and laugh at Bleacher Report and laugh at all these outlets who cover the Lakers incessantly. The bottom line is, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal because this is either the greatest or, in my opinion, the second greatest NBA player of all time. And this is the end game of his career. And it's either on the, on the glitziest franchise in the league and regardless, it, it would be the same if you were in Charlotte or Orlando or wherever. This is LeBron James. Depending on your opinion, he's the number one or number two greatest player of all time. This is the end game for him in the next season plus two or three or whatever it is. 
it matters just like it mattered for Michael Jordan and mattered for Magic Johnson and mattered for every all-time great player. It matters what happens to him at the end for not just his legacy and the amount of rings, but for the fans who have an interest, even if you don't like LeBron or you're neutral on LeBron. There, do you want to see LeBron just sort of meander out in mediocrity? I don't think anybody wants to see that. It's a big deal and it's a big story. And I just don't know. I just am at a loss for where this goes from here because it's just hard to get from this current Lakers roster to contending with the beasts of the West and the East. We didn't even talk about how good the top of the East is because they got to get there first. It's just a, it's just a long road from point A to point B. And there just aren't very many levers to pull when when the lever is trading Russell Westbrook. There just aren't many places you can go and guys you can get. And I'm just very, very curious to see how they handle it, because as presently constructed, I just don't I just don't see it. And as jaded as as folks might be or some certain. I guess, vocal critics of those platforms, those outlets, media outlets you mentioned, because there is a lot of LeBron and Laker coverage. Like I was at a gym in Compton on Saturday and there were people lining up at six in the morning to get a glimpse of seeing LeBron James play in person. And uh, at the Drew League, usually the the capacity of the gym is about 12 or 1300. I was told it was north of 2,500 in standing room only. And these folks were living and breathing with every step LeBron took on that court. And that's why it matters because he is a monolith in the game of basketball. And for all his foibles, he has given his all to the game. And that's going to be really interesting to see what his final chapter looks like. Like we all saw the way the final years of Kobe went battling all the injuries. He had the greatest coda in the history of codas when it comes to NBA players um you know in a final flourish in one single game uh but there was a lot of painful nights leading up to that point and um you know we're trying to see what the thing's going to look like last season was painful for everyone involved lakers fans front office coaching staff players media like all of us it was a miserable experience and i think the goal on top of competing for championships should be to avoid that trap of this being a uncomfortable circus because who wants that to, to send off clearly one of the greatest players ever to set foot on the court. And by the way, none of this is to say that the Anthony Davis trade was a mistake or anything like the Anthony Davis trades a win. They won mm-hmm. a championship. That's a win. It was a sm- it was the right player to go all in on. Then it's the, it was and in retrospect, that remains the case. It's just kind of amazing that they went from a team and and the other thing is I, I the worse the Lakers get the more I hear and read people snickering about how the the bubble championship doesn't count like I was even driving around listening to I might have even been ESPN radio uh last week and there was snickering about well if you count the bubble cha- no you count the bubble championship do. counts it's an equal championship. It's its own unique thing that in a lot of ways is, is I don't want to say special because the world was in such a crap place then as if it isn't now. Um, but that, I, I hate, I hate when I hear that. And, and, it, and I also think if it were any other team but the Lakers and LeBron, 
you wouldn't hear that at all. It's just because people like to are sick of hearing about the Lakers, don't like LeBron, whatever it is. They want to discount that championship. No, that's a real championship. That's an equal championship, and it and it vindicates the Anthony Davis trade by itself. And I don't. I just hate that. But we'll see. Where, it's just amazing that we went from that team with Contavious Caldwell Pope, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, these like ideal supporting pieces, and like bit by bit by bit, and then in one final chop of the axe, the rust trade. That whole supporting cast is gone, and now they're trying to scramble. And, and like I said, I like Lonnie Walker. I like JTA. None's interesting. I think THT hopefully will have a bounce back year to some Austin degree. Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson Austin had Reeves. some moments Austin last Reeves, year. Austin Reeves, by the way, shot 32% from three last year. Like He's a good player. He's got a good feel for the game. He's tough as he needs to make more open shots. It's just that's just not good enough, and it's not it's not at the level of those names that I just mentioned. Anyway, Dave, you've I, I'm glad you you know get some downtime because August fourth ain't too far away. I will be uh, I will be in Croatia on August fourth, and um, I will be I I will be checking the news in the Mc10 Twitter feed uh, uh, aggressively. My last stretch of uh, that that week, I am committed to being uh, on the ground in Los Angeles. After that, I gotta shut it down at some point because training camps will be right around the corner, and we're either gonna be talking about a brand new um, third wheel, or we're gonna be trying to figure out a way that they are gonna try to make these pieces fit again. But um, by the way, I liked I liked being a third wheel in my single days. I didn't mind being a third wheel. There's no pressure on the third wheel. You're totally additive. The other two wheels want you there for whatever reason. You can you can sort of poke fun at them and whatever tension. I like being a third wheel. You gotta get along with both though. And that's not always oh, yeah. the case. It's kind of hard because usually you're coming into a couple and you have a stronger relationship with one of the two. You don't want that third Fair. wheel to then have the person who's in the relationship to feel like they're the third wheel. So it's a it's a tricky little balance you got to play in that position. I feel like I, w- I was a pretty solid third wheel. All right, Dave McMenamin, enough nonsense. Don't snub anyone today, and, uh, and I'll see you soon. Don't exactly. snub me when you see me, okay? I got you. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's bring on our next guest to talk about a team, a big market team, with just an all-time great NBA history, iconic players, iconic jerseys, iconic three-peats, iconic championship runs, iconic buzzer beaters, that I'm beginning to think their current ownership, maybe, kind of likes that nobody really talks about them, that they're just kind of off to the side, not receiving a lot of national scrutiny, not receiving a lot of national attention, when they are a brand an international icon, and they should be receiving a lot of attention for whatever reason is merited at the time. It's time to talk about the Chicago Bulls. Remember the Chicago Bulls? Six-time NBA champions Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, had Jimmy Butler for a hot second. The three alphas appeared. There was the Fred Hoiberg era. There was Joe Kim Noah and Derrick Rose, and then they reconfigured the whole team, and they have three All-stars on their team right now, they got off to a hot start. Then the wheels came off due to injuries and COVID, and they got destroyed in the first round of the playoffs. And now it's kind of like, is anyone talking about them anymore? Are they still in the NBA? Are they still a hot team? Are they a a mediocre team? What are they? Uh, Do we know where Lonzo Ball is? Let's bring in a, a guy who was super high on the Bulls last year and for 50 games looked smarter than the rest of us who were, I would describe myself as lukewarm on the Bulls. I think I had them as a play-in team last year, like a seventh or eighth seed uh, in my in my seedings. I was obviously a little bit off on that. Chris Herring from Sports Illustrated, how you doing, sir? Doing really well. I appreciate you having me on. How are you? I'm good. I'm just, I'm just a little flummoxed, Chris. I'm flummoxed, and I want to correct my flummoxedness. So we spend all <laughs> July talking about the same six teams and then like the sort of attached to those teams teams like uh miami and phoenix and oh hey milwaukee's still really good and philly's doing this we just the chicago bulls are just out of the discourse they're just out this is an all-time great nba franchise they're just out of the discourse and in fact chris the only time i've seen them in the discourse at all this summer when what did they what did they even do this summer they signed andre drummond and Goran Dragic mm-hmm. drafted Dale and Terry, who looked pretty good in Summer League. Maybe there's a minor move or two that I'm forgetting. Actually, there isn't. I'm looking at their roster now. The only time I see them in the discourse is when their fans are angry. And there was the anger, the billboard-level anger. Like, the buy-a-billboard-to-get-gar-packs-fired-level anger. That subsided to a love fest for the new regime because they threw caution to the wind. At least they went for it. Did they trade way too much for Nikola Vucevic? Maybe, but at least it was fun and they had a direction. And then this summer, the only th- there's a new anger, which is... Why have we not spent the mid-level exception? Why have we not spent the biannual exception? Are we just hell-bent on ducking the tax? What is, what, how are we supposed to feel about the Bulls, who 40 or 50 games into the season last year, Chris, we were having conversations like, could they make the conference finals? Are they, uh, are they like an injury away from being 2-2 in the conference finals? Are they a real threat? To these other teams, and then Boston, foosh, ascends. Miami, foosh, ascends. Phillies, foosh, got something going on, I guess. The Brooklyn drama, like, what is this team? What, what should we be talking about? We got to talk about the Bulls. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. I think you're spot on about the idea that this, 
if you had to ask the average fan, uh, you know, I, I live here. I'm looking out at the city right now. I should have mentioned you, know, you are a resident of Chicago, Illinois. I should have probably mentioned that sure. in the intro. No, I mean, I think people people who listen to you and if know enough about me know that. Although a lot of people still think I live in New York, um, they the fans I think are frustrated. You know, similar. I guess the opposite from last year. They were really excited last year. I think a lot of them were at least curious about the DeRozan pickup, which, you know, people were mixed about how they felt about that. I think fans were at least excited to see the team going for it. That was kind of the angle and the approach I took in writing about them last year is that regardless of whether or not you love DeRozan as a player, they've improved. It was very clear that they'd at least improved to where they could be talked about as a playoff team for a team that had missed the playoffs for four years in a row and had the worst record in the league over those last four years. And that's what they were. I, I, I think you you might have even understated a little bit. Obviously, there was talk about the conference finals um, at one point last year and the possibility of them getting there. They were in first place until, was it mid-February? It was like after the All-Star break. They were still in first place. Um, and, 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 they, and let's I mean, be clear. Um, that was with Pat Williams having not played to that point. He played. He missed the he whole played season. Seventeen basically. games, yeah. I think, the whole season. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, after that, Lonzo and Caruso, or during slash after that, their their backcourt, their thieving backcourt, their pickpocketing backcourt. That was the only <laughs> thing right. somehow propping up this defense, a team that finished twenty third in defense overall, despite looking like a top 10 defense for much of the season was because of those two guys. And they were, they missed essentially half the season. Right. So, so that's, that's to me, if I'm looking at it, if I'm trying to, to look through the prism of Bulls fans, it's kind of this question of how can you have been in first place through, and I don't know, it might've been even later than this, but at least mid February, I'm looking at basketball references, historical standings, they were at least tied with the Miami Heat on February 15th for first place in the East. How are you in first place in a, a really, really knockdown, drag out sort of conference like the East two thirds of the way through the season and you're not doing anything to like meaningfully really re. I, w- I guess I wouldn't say revamp because you probably don't want to see it revamp, but added to. And so when, that's where it gets frustrating when you start talking about the idea of are you ducking the tax? Are you not willing to spend, use your mid-level, different things like that? Because if you're in first place for most of the season and you're not trying to take swings here, like what are you doing? And uh, so I think I could speak for almost anybody who, who would say that they're a Bulls fan when you say that that's frustrating. And that's been a criticism of, of Jerry Reinsdorf for years as it relates to the Bulls and, and the idea of not wanting to spend. And, you know, even if you go back and look at the last dance, there were questions about, you know, should more have been spent? Should there be more of a willingness to spend bigger on some of this stuff, even when the team was great? So um, it doesn't stun me to see them not spending here. But, you know, when you're at that threshold and you're a big market team, um I thought last summer was a step forward for them as far as showing a willingness to really get involved, to take a swing with some stuff. And um, I thought, you know, that maybe they'd shown enough last year to maybe really go for it. Um, But, you know, clearly it doesn't really look like that's been the case. They've gotten a couple of guys 
that will make, I think, maybe a marginal, marginal difference here. But depth was their issue last year, and I'm not sure that they've completely, completely addressed Well, I here. think their bet on depth would be Pat Williams is healthy, so Javante Green then goes to the bench or the deep bench. I thought Javante Green was solid for them last year. He, he was a good player. 36 out of 101 from three, so 35 point whatever percent. That's, that's pretty, he was fine. Energy, rebounding, rim running, the whole deal. Good defender. Uh, but, but Pat Williams back, and presumably... You know, there are people who have gone out on him way too fast. Like, because he is built up as this, you know, even Stacey King. What does Stacey King call him? The paw? The the, the baby kawaii? The paw instead of the claw? <laughs> the paw, I think. Right. And he was built up yeah. to, to be this sort of prototypical modern NBA killer defender, mid-range pull-up guy, sort of like this, what's the ceiling here? Is it really 90% of Kawhi? That's amazing. Then he's the golden trade ship, right? The guy they won't include for anybody. Will they include him for for Rudy Gobert? Could they get into the Gobert sweepstakes if they put him in? Oh my gosh, they're going to fret about that. Well, then it doesn't matter because Minnesota trades basically... The entire Minnesota Twins franchise <laughs> right. and the and the and and the, the Homer <laughs> Hankies and everything involved and Target for right. uh, for Rudy Gobert, and, but but and so people it's it's become kind of hip to sort of to 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 roll your eyes at the Pat Williams discourse and I'm like dude this guy's twenty he's not even twenty one twenty he's barely yeah. played and. You, yes, he's been really tentative offensively. He has the usage rate of a very, very minor role player. But he has shown right. a nice mid-range game, decent court vision when he when he decides to sort of one one fake, one dribble, two dribbles pass. He's got some feel to him. Like I'm not, I'm still pretty high on him. So that's that's one argument for the depth. Kobe White missed a lot of the season last year. He's back. To round out this bench, maybe. I mean, they could go three guards off the bench with Caruso, White, and Desumnu, who I really, really like. And then you have Drummond to round out the backup center. Dragic break in case of emergency. Blah, blah, blah. The depth is there. The flip side is uh, you're never getting a season like that from DeRozan again. I, I, I just don't, You can't expect mm. that level of greatness from him again. Um, Vucevic, I, I didn't like the Vuce trade when it happened. It cost them what ended up being Franz Wagner. It's going to cost them another uh, top four protected pick, which really, uh, it, between that and the pick they gave to DeRozan, they can't trade a first-round pick right now to upgrade their team, really. Um, right. And he shot 31% from three last year. And you want to say right. you want to say that's an outlier. Here are his last five seasons from three. 31%, 36%, 34%, 40%, 31%. Maybe the 40% mm. is the outlier and not the 31%. And if that's the case, then you're in trouble because what was not an outlier was that he is a negative defensive player who really hamstrings what you can do on the end of the floor. And then you throw in the like, what the hell is going on with Lonzo? He had a meniscus injury and it's still lingering. And they're like, maybe. We kind of figured he'd be yeah, back, and, right? And I think the yeah. update from Casey Johnson last week was, we're hoping he's ready for camp. I, I, what's happening there? So I just don't know how to feel about this team. And, and that's where I'm at is that the Lonzo thing in particular, because I, I feel like that was actually a storyline that outside of Chicago didn't get much traction is that that was kind of what I said last year with when I picked them to potentially be like a home court advantage team and said that I thought that they could do that. I said it pretty much hinges on them having to be 
not even average as a defensive team, which a lot of people thought they'd be way worse than average. I said I thought they have to be like a good defensive team to be as good as the highest projections had them. And they were a really good defensive team when they were healthy. But it was because Lonzo and Caruso were just wreaking so much havoc. Like you said, the constant steals in the lane. You can't overlook the fact that Lonzo was great from three last year for them, that he was looking to take more of them, that they, you know, all the attention you have to pay to Zach Levine and DeRozan, that he was going to get more opportunities and more open opportunities. He was pushing them in transition. Um, and then all of a sudden for you to not have him for as long a stretch as you did, when I think everybody assumed he'd be back at some point, and he just wasn't. And then Caruso was out for such long stretches, the, the play with Grayson Allen, the wrist uh, they couldn't make do without those guys, and they played a long stretch without either one of them. And so the question of Lonzo when he's missed this much time is kind of like how much rust will that where there be uh, when he comes back? Will he be exactly the same when he comes back? Because it's it, it's been kind of a mysterious sort of thing uh, with him. And if not, all of a sudden that ends up being. Uh, a big question mark for them too. And it's why I say that the depths, it's not that they don't have depth. It's that they don't have guys that can realistically replace the, really their engine. And by that, obviously you would think DeRozan Levine. I'm thinking more about Caruso and Ball just because they're really two of the only guys that can really fully bring what makes them special when they're humming. And that was really good defense. Um, to pair with a, a backline center that really doesn't move all that well. Um, and you can dig down and really help him a little bit. When they didn't have that, they were a mess. And even with that, there was still going to be a question of how do you go about guarding Giannis and KD and well, guys those, like but that. But those are questions and, that are just like, here's how you go about it. You don't. You just pray that they they don't ev- eviscerate you and that their teammates. You do like Boston just made the finals with one of the greatest defenses yeah. ever, and Giannis just lit their ass up game after game after game. Yes, yes, yes. So that part is fair. My my point is that it's nice to have as many guys as Boston has to try to do that. It's nice to have a PJ Tucker that you can go out and get if you're Philly, uh, and and who knows? Maybe you feel like they overpaid to do it. But the teams that we put one level higher than the Bulls all have somebody that you task well, with that's, that. But that's Pat. That isn't six foot three or six foot. That's four. Pat Willis. And, and 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 you're and you're hoping that it's him. Um, and so who knows? Maybe that makes all the difference itself. He's twenty. It's a hard task for someone who's twenty as well. Not to mention. So we'll see. I, I would have loved to have seen them taking a swing for someone like that. Aside from just having Pat Williams. But who knows? Like, they, I just kind of feel like you want to see them involved and in the conversation for some of this stuff. Bulls fans share just, the picture of Kevin Durant wearing the Tony Kukoc jersey all the time, and it's just a little bit crazy. And I think this is what yeah, you were like, getting. It's like, how, how am I getting? How am I the conversation? How am I getting Kevin Durant, uh, Demar Derozan, you and no, you Demar Derozan to? and Pat Williams, and no first round picks? That's the package. You weren't going to, but I think that you at least want to. Like the fact that you're, they're not mentioned as a destination given what they are, what they should represent with all the history, with this being, in my opinion, a pretty fun city to be in, a, a fun market to be in, kind of a forgotten market. But when they're humming, they're talked about a lot. And people talk about that kind of being the league at its greatest when you've got, you know, the three coasts, if you want to put it that way. 
um, all humming at the same time with the Lakers, the Knicks, the Bulls. They should be in more conversations and more, you know, you would think that given when they're in first place for most of a season, the fact that that, you know, now is not the case. And it's actually like, at least with the Milwaukee Bucks, when they bring back the majority of their roster, you can make the argument that they were one all-star away, their own all-star away from having been back in the finals. You can't do that with this Bulls team. Uh, maybe you can say it with Lonzo and Caruso, but I still think that they probably would have been a little bit short on on talent. So to not see them meaningfully add to that aside from minimum ads, and, and Drummond is a good pickup at, at the minimum, but aside from that well, and, and I, I think they technically used a little bit of the mid-level exception on Drummond. They did. You're totally right. Yeah, they did. There's always one team. There's always one team. That you like wake up on July 15th after the frenzy of the draft and free agency and you think to yourself, did that team participate in any of this? I I haven't heard that team's name in two weeks. Did the landlines stop working at their offices? And for this season, that was the Bulls. Like, I was, did who did the Bulls wait? What did the Bulls do? Were the Bulls involved at all? Did the Bulls just say, yeah, we're, we're out? So, so, okay, so let's unpack some of what you said with Lonzo and Caruso on the floor. The Bulls were plus 9 per 100 possessions, plus 93 overall in 459 minutes. Woo! Amazing. Their their closing lineup, I think the one they envisioned last year, was DeMar at the 4 with Caruso, Lonzo, Levine, DeMar, Vucevic, plus 34 in 95 minutes. Only played 95 minutes. And and so you want to say, you know, we, we really barely know this team, like we're, we're, we're sitting here wringing our hands. We barely saw the team that they envisioned. And to their credit, when they had Lonzo, I did think, you know, the, the question everyone had was, how are they going to mesh this speedball group that they have with this super old school slow ball group of DeRozan and Vucevic? And the answer was the meshing was it meshed beautifully. They, they played they mm-hmm. played with a, a pace and an oomph. When Lonzo and Levine were on the floor, Lonzo might be the best hit-ahead passer in the entire NBA. Levine might still be the best dunker in the entire NBA when he has space to do it. And they sped DeRozan up. DeRozan met them at their pace. And if they if they couldn't get anything in transition, Vooch was there trailing as the hub, the jump shooting big, handoff big. It, it worked beautifully. And what it did was it gave them multiple identities on offense even when the same lineup within like lineups the same lineup could play offense three and four different ways and when they were rolling I remember being courtside at a Lakers Bulls game in press row in LA and the Lakers and the Bulls just destroyed them Lonzo had seven threes I think and the Lakers looked so old and so slow and the Bulls looked like they had jetpacks on their backs and and shoes with extra yeah. leaping ability built into them. I mean, it was just a totally different species of team almost. And that's how they looked when they were good. On the flip side, Chris Herring, how many All-Star games has Lonzo Ball made? None. Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic were built up as these – this is our big three – these are our three all-stars. All of them have been all-stars. Two of them were all-stars last year. Those guys played the entire season, more or less. With those three guys on the court, in 1,200-something minutes, the Bulls were minus seven. At some point, I, ca- I mm. can't attach... I, 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 I don't think I can attach that much importance to Lonzo Ball. I just don't. 
If those three, yeah. if those, those, that's my, like, if Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert are minus 10 in a thousand minutes next year, it's going to be a problem and one that we can't pin on, like, you know, whoever yeah. the seventh guy on the team is. Not that Lonzo's the seventh guy, but like, that's, I, I, I just, I, I'm, that's why I'm kind of torn here and why I think it feels like after that hot start, the, the East has kind of passed the Bulls by, but then you look at how they play with Lonzo, you're like, maybe they do owe it to themselves to kind of see what this team is. I don't know, but I, I'm not optimistic. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with some of it just as far as how good they were when they played fast. And obviously Lonzo is a big driver that, the biggest driver that for them. Um, man, their offense looks stuck in the mud. And I, I, I want to say, didn't Levine end up in health and safety protocols during the playoffs. He missed game. He missed um, the, or something. He, he and Caruso both missed the last game against Milwaukee. The end of that series. So, I mean, <laughs> it just became, you know, it looked like DeRozan was trying to play one on five, you know, at, at, at times, um, which is not going to work. And, you know, frankly, I think maybe there's a little bit more upside than, than maybe what we've pointed you know, out. I, sh- like, I, I should Levine, say, I should say, I said I'm not optimistic. And I want to, to your point, I want to just almost correct myself. I think the, okay. how they played with Lonzo was at least semi-real. I think that was a real thing. I remain, as I said before, perhaps I am seduced by the outline of what he is. I'm still in on Patrick Williams. And I think he becomes one of the most important players in the NBA now. So if he hits and he hits this year in year three, not hits like he's going to reach his peak, but if there's a leap that happens because he finally plays, I do think this is a good team. My optimism ends at the word good, and that's optimism. If there mm-hmm. are setbacks, then it's a totally different. So, so that's, that, that's, that's where I'm at. That feels fair. And, uh, I mean, looking at Williams specifically – because my my best friend, and I'm sure he'll listen to this later, and he'll be like, "Why'd you put me out?" Spike like this? Lee. He's he he. <laughs> no, uh, my best friend. His name is Marcus. I've known him since I was five, and uh, he he made it known. I think I was watching either Game Four. I think it must have been Game Four at his house um, of the Buck series with the Bulls, and he was like, "I'm out on Patrick Williams. Trade him." Blah, 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 blah. I was like, Marcus, he, he's like 20. And I want to say one of those games in the series, like he was very quiet for most of the series, but I think he had like a 20 and 11 game or something against the Bucks. He hit a couple of threes. And you look at his numbers, aside from just how he looks, which physically he more than looks the part. He's 20. He's playing with a bunch of, not a bunch, but two ball-dominant players. So there aren't a whole lot of opportunities throughout the game. He missed most of last season. And oh, by the way, for his career, he's only shot forty-one percent from three. By the way, great as a guy, that, great use of oh, by the way. Anytime you can work an oh, by the way into a sports discussion, you have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's he's only a forty-one percent shooter, you know, at, at at his size, at his position, which is not like a common thing at his age. Uh, at his age, it, even if he was, you know, twenty-five, that's not just a given at that position like he so I I asked my friend like what do you mean when you give up on him you know like have you given up on Kobe White because to me like that's who I would be trying to include in deals if I had to make something happen it would also be less attractive to other teams for exactly the reason we're talking about but he was like I just feel like I don't see 
the dog in him, like he's not going to go up. Like you look at someone like Maxi, who obviously had a breakout year last year, and he's like, you just see him going to go get it. There's an aggression. He's playing alongside a couple of star players too, but he's not waiting on anything to happen. He's going to make something happen. Patrick Williams like kind of has more of a – he's more tentative. He's not going to do that. I was like, he didn't play last year. I don't expect to see him just – put the ball on the floor and dominate guys this year. But I do think, and I said this on our podcast at Open Floor at Sports Illustrated, I I could absolutely see him in the most improved conversation. And if that's the case, the Bulls have upside. And I think even if it's not the case, having him available is some upside. I think Levine being a little bit healthier would be upside. And I would hope if I'm the Bulls, Levine looking more comfortable, like he looked a little bit, and I'd be interested on your take on this, there were times where it looked like he forced, like DeRozan rarely looks like he's forcing much. Um, he's obviously a very smooth player. He's not everyone's preference because he doesn't shoot from three much and he's not a great three-point shooter. But he gets to his spots. He doesn't look like he's forcing much. Levine, on the other hand, maybe playing with someone who controls the ball as much as he does or even more than he does sometimes seemed like it made him a little bit uncomfortable and kind of made it look like your turn, my turn, where he's forcing shots sometimes. And I kind of wonder if there's more comfort to be had in this second year with DeRozan. And if there is, what that looks like, and if there's less forcing, and if their offense maybe is more cohesive and and less forced sometimes because maybe Levine develops more of a comfort this year. Yeah, He's been in the league a while, so that's not fair to necessarily put all that on that. But I felt like I saw a lot of that last year from him. I, I think part of that is what I mentioned before about Lonzo and their ability to play multiple styles, styles that suit yeah. styles that suit both Levine and DeRozan separately. And we also saw when they were healthy, which was rare, I think Billy Donovan wanted to stagger them somewhat extremely so that – DeRozan goes out, Levine and Vucevic stay in together to carry the offense. Then they go out and DeRozan either goes by himself or plays with Lonzo if Lonzo's healthy. I think we would see more of that when when everyone's at full strength. You mentioned Kobe White. I would bet a good amount of money that if the Bulls are decent this year, Kobe White plus the Blazers pick they have, which is lottery protected in, in perpetuity, is they're going to ch- and attach whatever minor salary you need. I think that's a very predictable sort of trade package by win now kind of trade package. Um, here's here's mm-hmm. what the here's what the Bulls are in danger of. Here's what here's what's interesting to me. Vucevic is an expiring contract this year. They traded two first round picks, one of which already nailed. Now maybe the Bulls wouldn't have nailed it if they had it, but maybe they would have. Franz Wagner. Wendell Franz Wagner would fit most teams. <laughs> Franz Wagner would fit everywhere from the local Y to the current Orlando Magic yeah. uh, or Golden State Warriors. Uh, not super talented, really good. And by the way, forgotten name in that trade, Wendell Carter Jr., who had a fantastic season last that year too. for Orlando and was frankly better than Vucevic. Not as not as sort of versatile and opening the floor offensively and all that, but like all around, I thought he was better. So Vuce is on an expiring contract. DeRozan has two years left on his contract. He's eligible for an extension after this coming season. Both of them are going to be on the wrong age of 30 or whatever when those, when those markers are up. There is a reality in which if Vucevic has another substandard shooting year, and he shot well from two in fairness, he never gets to the line, you know, you know the weaknesses with him, that they decide we're just, we're, maybe we're just better off not being in the Vucevic business. There's a universe in which DeRozan is not on the team in two years or 
paid too much to be on the team. Well, let's take the version where he's not on the team. They've traded him. They've moved off him, whatever. In that case, you've gone not quite all in, but like half in or waste level in for this little itty-bitty window of DeRozan, Vucevic, Levine. And then that window is gone, and I have to pivot to a new team that's like Levine, Pat Williams, whatever. And I kind of sacrificed a lot for a small window of time. That worries me a little bit. And one of those windows of time is gone. That's last season. Another one this season, they just have a lot of questions. I think they're going to be solid. But, you know, you look at the East – the top four is the top four. Now, somebody will get hurt. Something will change. But Miami, whatever order you want, Boston, Milwaukee, Miami, Philly. I think Toronto is a really solid team that's just going to get better. Atlanta clearly is under a lot of pressure to win. But we could go on and on. There's no guarantee that a good Bulls team and a reasonably healthy Bulls team is in the top six next year. I mean, and this was this was largely the case last year. And in fairness to you, we did your pod last year, uh, right before the season started. We kind of did which team or, you know, the teams we think people are too low on, too high on. Like you said, I picked the Bulls that I thought people were too low on. You said that you thought maybe people were a little bit too high on them or that you were curious to see what happened. And you, you went out and said, you went out on a limb and said, look, I like what they did. I don't love it. I feel like they've invested a little bit too much. And I think you said... I'd be surprised if this core, if this iteration of this team wins more than maybe two playoffs. I, I, I think said, said. I, I think um, I said, right now, would you pick? Would you pick this team to ever win more than one playoff series in a particular season right. during this window? And I said I would probably and, lean no. Yeah, and it's still a fair question. I think the the question about where they stack up in the East is always going to be there. Last year was maybe a good signal that you you just go for it, um, and you you know you you take into account that other teams are going to have injuries. You take into account that the stuff you know the sky is falling. Maybe in Brooklyn, that a team like Atlanta maybe gets a little bit high on itself or kind of fumbles a little bit. They take a step back, and all of a sudden you look up. You had a good player already in Levine. You added real talent in Lonzo. You have Vooch, who, like you said, had clearly a down season. Um, and you added DeRozan and, and Caruso. You added some really nice role guys and let, and let's be, around a good and, player. And let's be clear. Mm-hmm. The Caruso contract is amazing. He's a really good player on a really oh, good yeah. contract. Levine, I'm a believer in him offensively. He's made such gigantic leaps as a scorer and a shooter. Now, defensively, it's still not there. And to me... The jury is out on whether they can build a top 10 defense or top 15 defense if they're going to play DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic a lot. It looked like they had a pathway right. there last year. Let's see what happens this year. Right. So so those questions are still there. I, Like I said, I understand that the fans are going to be frustrated because this fits a pattern of the Bulls not showing much willingness to spend when they're kind of at that crossroads of like, what's next? They could have, and they, they and you can make the argument that maybe they should have to kind of be in that conversation with the top five teams in the East or so. And, and again, coming off of a year where you were at the top of the conference for most of the season, the, you you have the ability to kind of lean on the, the fact that, well, our guys were hurt, and when we were healthy, we were one of the best teams. Okay, so we'll see what happens with that this year, whether they're healthy, whether Lonzo comes back, whether guys like Caruso – can stay healthy, whether Patrick Williams can avoid the injury bug this year, and and hope that someone like DeRozan 
and hope like someone like Levine uh, stays healthy. But um, it, it'll be an interesting team. I think the one guy that they tried to be on this offseason that probably would have helped them it was not the sexiest, would not have been the sexiest pickup, but by going where he's going, we'll get a lot of attention. Gallinari would have been interesting for them just because they need more shooting. Um, that was really clear in the, in the Buck series where Grayson Allen shot 200% from three or whatever it was. Um, and they just didn't have anybody that could make anything. They, I think they shot less than 25% for the last two or three games of that series from three. And they really didn't have any answers to it. Kobe White wasn't great either. You will seldom. Now, I realize that the Bucks' default on defense is to not guard okay three-point shooters. And as we saw against Boston, they just <laughs> ran out of all other ideas other than to just let Grant Williams yeah. take a million wide-open threes. 17. But you will <laughs> right. seldom see a team disrespect another team's mm. entire collection of shooters to the degree to which Milwaukee disrespected the Bulls in the first round. They sold out. And obviously the Bulls were injured and all that. And it was interesting because the, that's what the Bucks do. They let you take three. They let okay shooters take threes. The Bulls are, are the mm -hmm. Bulls are the opposite. They don't give up threes. They just give up a parade to the rim all the time. But it was it was like the Bucks honestly almost just could have sat down in the paint and and right. essentially been playing the same level of three point defense that they were playing. In that series. The one thing I'll say about the Bulls also is, and Pat Williams figures into this, I think Billy Donovan's a good coach. He has the track record of success playing small, fast, aggressive lineups. The Bulls are kind of constructed. One of the things that was interesting about the about the Drummond acquisition, Tony Bradley's still on the team. Vooch is still on the team. So they have these, all these plotting centers. I actually would like to see how they would look if they played more with like Derek Jones Jr. at center or Javante Green at center or Pat Williams at center. Pat Williams is the answer. And yeah. I think my hunch is we are going to see a little bit more of that this year if they're healthy. And I would be excited mm -hmm. to see how that team would look. They, just, they don't have the capacity to switch as readily on defense as you would like because of the weaknesses of DeRozan and Levine. But those guys are, are, are physically kind of imposing in their own ways. I just would like to see that. Gallo, I don't care about because I just don't have any faith Gallo can play at high levels in the playoffs anymore because of his defense. They also looked mm -hmm. at, at Looney, I know, was of interest to them and ended up going back to Golden State. So, you know, again, another, another traditional center, smart, high IQ, all that. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm interested to see what this team uh, – what this team looks like. But I do, I will say this, Chris, to wrap it up. It is one of those, the further we get from it, the more you tend to forget the fork in the road. But I think a lot about the Jimmy Butler fork in the road because that they bailed out on Jimmy Butler really, really early compared to when most teams decide our franchise star is no longer worth the max because of age or injury or whatever. Now, there were concerns about his knee and all that. He's obviously killed it. Well, he, he, he killed it in different ways. In One game away from making the finals a second time. As you say, he yeah. killed it in different ways in Minnesota, but he got them to the playoffs and, and, and was outstanding there. Miami's been outstanding. And, there, and that obviously would have changed their draft pick situation, their cap situation and all that. But there were, there were avenues from that Jimmy Butler plus picks – plus cap space, and that's just, that was, we don't talk about it anymore because it's so long ago, but I think about that fork in the road a lot, and I would love to be able to live the uh, alternate universe in which they go the other direction and see what that team looks like now.
Yeah, kind of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind sort of thing. Because that was, yeah, I, 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 I came out pretty heavy against that trade when it happened. I remember writing a column the next day. I was actually at, um, you know, there at Bulls headquarters when they, the draft night trade they Did made. Did you clock in? Um, Did you hit the punch clock? No, the punch clock wasn't there yet. <laughs> no, that wasn't the Jim Boylan area yet. <laughs> um, but I was there. I actually was there with, uh, I, you know, I teach at Northwestern sometimes on the side and was there. I was, I, I promised some students, I think, that I would, uh, that I would bring them to draft night um, to just kind of see what that is like. And then the Jimmy Butler trade happened. I was like, oh. Uh, so I had to, you know, really work while my students were there. And it just, it just kind of felt like, man, like I understood you were getting Levine and I, I think they got Chris Dunn back. Lowry um, Markkinen but it and was, traded the tick pick that became number 16. But they traded their pick that year. And I was just kind of like, so you're getting, let me get this straight. Like you're getting Levine who had torn his ACL. You're getting Chris Dunn, who was the guy you'd wanted in the draft the year before. You're trading your pick for that night's draft. But you're also giving up the best player in the, like the only superstar, maybe not even superstar, but like very clearly a star. And there were there were and everything else. There were health concerns and there was chemistry concerns. In fairness, yes, but th- th- there were, and that's that's the most fair way to lay but, it all the way out. But, but Butler was a star, no question. And uh, and I just kind of remember thinking like, I don't understand why you have to give up your own pick here. For and Levine has been wonderful for them, so it's not to take anything away from him. But like he had been damaged to some extent by an injury. Granted, he's come back fine. And Chris Dunn was one year out from when the Bulls really, really wanted to draft him. Uh, so you'd seen a little bit of him already, and he he wasn't great in year one. So it's kind of like I don't understand why you're giving up this much in a trade where you're giving up the best player. So obviously Butler has acquitted himself fully. You know, personality and stuff aside. Issues, locker room issues aside, Butler had some of those bouts in Chicago with the three alphas, and you remember, you know, remembering that he and Wade kind of made waves in that locker room at one time to where Rondo even called them out. Uh, which that was such a weird season, by the way. But anyway, it it it's a it was a huge flashpoint for the franchise, and like we said, like we were talking about before, they missed the playoffs for four years in a row. I wrote, a, you know, a mag piece on this last year. You go to games at the United Center now, and I was talking to some of the vendors outside the stadium that sell food, that play music, that you know sell shirts. And it, there used to be a time where you'd have people out. Chicago's a great blues city, jazz city. You had people out playing music, playing on the saxophone, playing on the drums, everything else, trying to make money from people that would just leave tips on the way out of the arena, on the way into the arena. Obviously, that was a huge thing during the Jordan years. It's it, it at least for the last four years, it had been dead out there. And I asked some of the vendors and some of the fans coming in and out of the arena, like what's changed over the last five, 10 years. And they're like, ever since the Rose era ended, the Butler era ended, it's just not electric here anymore. Like that's been lost and losing Butler um, and stepping away from the Derrick Rose era in the way they did, it fundamentally took air out of the balloon. Um, So I don't know, like how long is that process supposed to take to get back to the top? It feels like even more of a reason that you should really want to go for it and really want to spend to prove that you got this right, that you've got a team that can really compete and contend at the highest levels. And, and like I said, I think that's some of the frustration that's felt here in Chicago by a lot of the fans. Well, and if you just like, if you think about the Knicks and the Lakers, 
it feels like the Bulls for a mega market team. Now, Chicago's not quite LA and New York, but it's much closer to those sure. than it is to Orlando. It, it feels like the Bulls get the level of media scrutiny that, like, the Magic do. They're just not in the national discourse at all. And I think that has to change. Like, they're, they've invested a lot in this team. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of interesting players and personalities. And, and they kind of skirt the national scrutiny partly because you have an offseason like this where they don't do anything, so there's nothing to talk about. I, think I, just, I, I, I want this team to be more a part of the discourse because they're the Chicago freaking Bulls, and they're pretty good, and they're pretty interesting. So, Chris Herring, thanks for letting us talk about the Chicago freaking Bulls, and hopefully we do it again soon. Anything else? We, we, we got your newsletter that comes out every Tuesday. We got the Open Floor Podcast. What else do we need to get into? I honestly think that's it, man. Uh, the, even the newsletter is just kind of on hiatus for now just because uh, it's called The Playmaker. But there's not much happening just yet. As, aside from you dropping columns on all the things I'm curious about, about why teams are giving up every unprotected pick under the sun. Well, I can tell there's not that much I, happening. I can tell you this, Chris. Um, the moment you say there's not that much happening. Kevin Durant. <laughs> I'm waiting on it between beware. that and Donovan Mitchell. Beware. So I will have the, I promise I'll have the next version of the, the newsletter, my next real big story, whenever that, that next shoe drops. But we'll see whether it happens now or once the season starts or what have you. But I'm sure I'll have something up soon. Thank you, sir. Chris Herring, everyone. Thanks so much, Zach.